Just making sure I did Well, I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, last we Sunday, we had yeah, church in the park, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then we went over to the apartment complex and had a little barbecue and bounce houses, and that was a lot of fun. And that led into this week, there was VBS down there at the apartment complex. Um, and the VBS was, was really put on by people from High Sierra. Uh, Kara had some connections there, and they said, we want to come do a VBS for you guys. They wanted to bless us, and we said, great. Can you do it at that apartment complex? So my kids went, I think, three days, and, and others went, and it was really cool. Uh, we're going to get more of an update on that in a couple weeks when there's some pictures to show. But it was really neat how another church partnered with us, but really they did most of the work, except for Carrie did a lot of work, um, and served them, and there were kids saved because of it. There were kids that gave their lives to Christ. There were people impacted. And so that's, that's exciting to see what God is doing. Um, we're going to be... In Ephesians 5 this morning, and here's, you know, we've been going through John, but as I, uh, as I think about why we do what we do, you know, why, why is Common Ground here? Why is this new church plant here? And if you're visiting with us, we are here because we want to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. That's our mission, to expand the kingdom of God, meaning in our own lives, we grow in Jesus. We get to know him. We become more like him. And in that, we will experience, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We will have that abundant life as we get to know him and submit to him. But it doesn't end there. We exist to take that out to the rest of the world. So part of that is our marriage. And that's why I wanted to talk about marriage, because as, as Cal, Callie and I have gone through the past few years, and, and how does God have us, and for a while we were doing youth ministry. We love kids. And then I, I thought, you know, I look at all these kids, and almost 100%, you can gauge how well a kid is going to do moving on based on their home life. So we had kids in youth group who looked like they were doing great, and, but the, the home was a mess. But inevitably, a lot of times they'd graduate, and then their life would become a mess too. It's because that's what they knew. Or we would have kids in youth group who their parents were strong, growing in the Lord, connecting with each other, and those kids, it didn't matter what we did. They were doing okay. And so it, to a certain extent, there was a little bit like, well, what's the point? <laughs> but I think there's a lot of value in, in youth ministries. But we were led to go, okay, then the best thing we can do for kids is give them parents who are growing in Christ. And part of that is marriage. And the Bible talks about marriage being the best example the world has of Jesus' relationship with the church. And so you, if you're married... You are giving a picture to the world around you, your kids first, and the rest of what it should be like with Jesus and us as the church. And so this is extremely important. Now, there's also, I guess I could call it a selfish motive for myself. I want to see your marriages thriving. I have experienced over the last six, seven years, over and over hearing, marriage is so hard. Marriage is so hard. Marriage is so hard. And marriage can be hard. Marriage can be hard, and that's true, but we don't have to live in that marriage is miserable place. <laughs> and I know, you know, we go into marriage, a lot of times we enter all romantically, and some of you are maybe getting ready to get married or engaged or whatever, and you have this romantic view of marriage. Well, guess what? Within a year, you're, the blinders are going to come off and be like, this guy's disgusting. Um, <laughs> you know, and... and Six months, yeah, it won't take long. <laughs> it won't take long. Um, and then 
it's not as romantic anymore, and then it becomes real, and then it can get even better. It can get better if we do it the right way. Now, as I was preparing this message, I was studying, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, which is page 676, if you're in one of these Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll bring you one. Anybody need a Bible? No? It's okay. If you want to use your phone, we use the ESV, so use that. Um, but page 676, if you're in this Bible. But one of the things that I read as I was preparing for this is that that God gave us marriage not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And I thought about that for a minute, and I went, yes and no. <laughs> yes, marriage is to make us holy, in that when you get married, your sin is going to be revealed. Uh, you can hide things before you're married, but it's pretty hard to hide who you are after you're married. And so your selfishness comes out. Um, and and at, if you are committed to dealing with it, then you will become holy. That is more like Jesus, because you'll have to deal with that. But I disagree that marriage can't be happy. In fact, I think the greatest fulfillment in this life can be in a healthy, godly marriage. I really do. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and I want you to experience that. I want you to experience that. And so we are going to be in Ephesians 5 looking at marriage. Now, we've all heard the stats, right? That the divorce rate within the church is the same as outside the church. That might not actually be accurate. In fact, some of those stats are probably very, very inaccurate. The truth is they, they take those by polling around, hey, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Well, a lot of people claim to be Christians, but they're not engaged with the church at all. They're not engaged with actually following Christ. So Protestants committed to their faith are actually 35% less likely to divorce than somebody who claims to not have any religious affiliation. So 35% less likely to divorce. But nominal Christians, that is those who claim to be Christians but don't go to church, don't do anything, they just claim it, they're actually 20% more likely to get divorced than those that have no religious affiliation. So if you're faking it, you're a liar and <laughs> And that probably comes into your marriage is what it looks like. So uh, that's what it looks like. But here's, and here was a poll that was done at a Southern Baptist Convention event in 2001. Um, but they did this poll, and it turns out that less than 8% of Christian couples pray together regularly. Less than 8%. I'm not going to have you raise your hand if that's you or not you. But less than 8%. And their study showed that less than 1% of those that pray regularly together end up divorced. So there's just some stats to show if you and your spouse are pursuing God together, the divorce rate is going to plummet. Plummet. Happy, lifelong marriages that glorify God and fulfill His purposes are possible. Um, so what is marriage? And this is in your notes. If you're a note taker, it's in your notes. If you're using the app, the notes are in the app. Or, or you can look up Common Ground Carson. You can download it. We have Wi-Fi here. The password is on mission, on mission. So you can download the app and follow along and, and fill in. But I wanted to, to define marriage, and Tim Keller, I thought, gave a very good definition of marriage, and it's this. Marriage is a legal and binding commitment, permanent and exclusive, to share your entire life with someone. Marriage is a legal and binding commitment, permanent and exclusive to share your life with someone. We're going to look at that definition again in a little bit. Uh, but let's get into this passage. 
Ephesians 5. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, Alex taught on Ephesians 2, right? Yeah, yeah. Ephesians 2, and he talked about salvation by grace, um, costly grace versus, versus something else. Cheap grace. Cheap grace. There you go. That's the word. Um, but he explained well, if you... I, Go check out the podcast if you haven't heard it. But he explained well that the book of Ephesians is kind of a cause and effect. The first couple chapters, he talks about what Jesus did for you. He gave his life for you, and therefore, the response is our life for him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are a perfect example. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So there's nothing you do to earn your salvation. It's his gift. Um, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works. So no one can boast. But then Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's a really good outline for Ephesians. Because of what he did and who he made you, Jesus in you, now we walk in good works. And so we need that, we need that context before we actually look real quick at uh, wives and husbands in Ephesians 5.22. Look with me at 5.1 real quick. Because of who we are in Christ, and we can spend all time talking about the context, but 5.1, says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us. Because of who he, he is, what he's done, and who he made you now, be imitators of God. Uh, moving on, 5.15. He says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. So be imitators of God. Pay attention to your walk, to how you live. These are the things that he's saying. Um, he goes on in 18b, and he says this. Well, in 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul does this in Ephesians, and the Bible always does. It says, don't do this, but do this instead. You see that constantly in Scripture. God is not just a God of don't do anything. He replaces it with something better. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is key as we move forward of being filled with the Spirit because you can't be a good husband or wife in your own strength. You just can't do it. You have to be full of the Holy Spirit in order to do it. And if you are then, if you are pursuing God, then verse 21 is a transition into the marriage relationship. He says, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the transition sentence into the the rest of this chapter and actually some of six. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is in your notes. Because of who we are in Jesus, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will be submissive to others according to the authority and order established by God. Leave that up as we talk about it, if you don't mind, David. Because here's one of the things that you've heard and I've heard is this idea of mutual submission. Is that husband and wife have to submit to each other. And although there's great value in that, that's not what this teaches. This does not teach mutual submission. This teaches submission according to the order that God set forward. Uh, Because he talks about wives and husbands. And then in chapter 6, he says, children's and parents. Children's, children, <laughs> children and parents. Parents, are we supposed to submit to our kids? No, don't do it. Don't do it. And he goes on. Uh, bond servants and masters, masters and slaves. Does a master submit to the slave? No, 
And so he's saying, submit to the order that God put. Now, there's an equality, and we're not going to spend a lot of time going over that. There is absolutely equality. Husbands and wives, we are equal. But we have an order. We have an order of how we are to carry it out. So then, then he goes on in verse 22. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want you to notice what he says in both, both 21 and 22. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not submit to one another because the other person is really smart or because they're really good or any of that. Submit in the order I placed out of reverence for God. And then he tells the wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Don't submit to your husband because he's smart, because he's a great leader, because he's better than you in any way. Submit to him out of reverence for God. So the picture that I have with this always is we are facing there's the cross. We are facing the cross. We are facing Jesus. My life is for Jesus, and I'm submitting to him. But he's put some things in life that, that I will submit to him, but because he's told me this, I will do this. So submit to government. I will submit to government, even a government that at times is not following him. But I'm called to submit to that government. So I submit to the government because, really, I'm looking at God. I'm submitting to him, and then I'll submit to what he has told me to it's the same with wives. Submit to your husband because that's what God would have you do. And so you're submitting actually to the Lord as you submit to your husband. And this is the huge point. That's where it starts. It starts with your submission to Jesus. Happy couples tend to put God at the center of their marriage and focus on him rather than on their marriage or spouse for fulfillment and happiness. Happy couples, highly happy couples. Again, happiness isn't our goal necessarily. But as you're pursuing Jesus, you will be more content in life. But our focus is there. Just like our, our three key relationships that we, we talk about all the time. And we're getting to where our kids are starting to repeat it, which is good. But what do we focus on? Three relationships, up, in, and out. The first relationship that is key in our life is up, our relationship with God. And that's the way it starts in marriage as well. For a truly happy marriage, you must abandon all to follow Jesus, learning from and patterning your life after him. Remember Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's, the, that's where it starts. Walking in the Spirit means you're dead to yourself, you're alive to God, and then you can carry out your role in the marriage. The secret to a happy marriage is death to self and alive to God, then to your spouse. Okay, if you're in here and you're not married, maybe you're in high school, a few of you here, or you're thinking about married or you're getting married, here's the key. Do you want to have a successful marriage? Look for somebody who is committed first to Christ, and you are a distant, distant second. We make the mistake often of trying to find somebody who needs us, right? We want to be needed. And so if, you, if you're dating somebody and they just really need you and they're willing to put you before God, that's going to be destruction as your marriage goes on. So two things. First, look for somebody who has Christ way center and you way second, and you pursue God first. 
pursue God first, and then whoever this other person is, a distant second. That's, that's the order of things. You know, I've, I've shared it before when Callie and I were dating. I felt called to be a missionary. And I asked her on our first date or before we even dated, I said, if, if God called you to live in a hut, or I said, could you live in a hut in the middle of Africa for the rest of your life? And she said, if God called me to, yeah. You know, she, she had Christ first, whatever he calls me to do first. And that's, that's what we want to look for. So those of us who are already married too late, <laughs> but it's not too late. Now, if we are married, you start with you. You start with you. You pursue God first. You pursue God first, and things will work its way out. No guarantee that your spouse will, but we're not called to make them do it. I put this in my notes. As I was studying for this, I, I went to our bookshelf, and I pulled out the books that I read before we got married. Um, and we actually did a... a a study together for our premarital because I lived in Russia she lived in California and so we did our premarital counseling over the phone <laughs> and we listened to a Tommy Nelson tape series going through Song of Solomon so it was really cool we'd listen to it and we'd take notes and then we'd talk about it on the phone uh, but I did a lot of studying before I got married and I had it nailed you know I knew exactly and then of course I didn't have it perfectly but there's something that I wrote down um, I think I wrote it in here oh I, I, I made this note, and it's so true. I wrote, the husband never forces submission. So the husband is called to be the head. We'll get to that. The wife is to submit, but the husband never forces it. The husband can never demand that. Let's look on in this passage. Verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And his is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Of course, if your husband tells you to do something against scripture, you, you don't submit to that. You know, and if your government tells you to do something that is clearly unbiblical, you don't submit to that. But most things don't fall into that category, do they? Submit to your husbands in everything. And this is all he says to wives in these three verses is submit. Just like we are, as the church, to submit to Christ. But then look on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The wife is to submit. The husband is to love. So here's where I think that, that whole mutual submission idea is clarified. There is an order of submission, but if the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, guess what? The wife is pretty much going to always get what she wants. In general, really. Because the loving husband is going to put her wants and desires and needs before his own. It's easy to submit to that, isn't it? When you know, ladies, that, that he has your best interest, the problem is we're kind of messed up. Um, and we don't always do that, do we? But that's the order. And so, really... The submissive wife, that's her role. The loving husband, the husband is going to give up his desires in his way more often. Ideally, that's the plan. I mean, and the example is Jesus and the church. Again, it's submission as to Jesus. Our example is Jesus. He died for his church. Now, submission, before we get on more to the husband, though, does submission mean that the wife doesn't voice her opinions? Darn right, that's what it means. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no way! No way! 
Hey, a loving husband wants to hear your opinions. A loving husband wants to hear your opinions shared respectfully and submissively. Okay, so there, there's there's how you share those opinions. But a wife, although submissive, gets to chime in. In fact, gets to, the Bible says she's a submissive helper. This is in your notes. The role of a wife is to be a submissive helper. That comes from Genesis 2.18, where God looked at man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the wife is a submissive helper. Is a good helper silent all the time? No. Who's the best person in my life that points out my flaws? Callie is. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, she does it in a great way. She does do it. It's a loving thing for her to do to me. Uh, for example, our kids aren't in here, great. Um, <laughs> you know, just this week, just this week, she said, you know, uh, you're, you're treating that one a little different than the others. You seem harsher and quick to jump on that one, and we have to be careful, and, and she was right. She was right, and, but she said it in a way, she saw my fault, she saw a mistake I was making, and she pointed it out gently, respectfully, and I listened and ignored it. <laughs> but, but no, I listened and okay, and so now I try and pay attention, but, but that's her role. Not to just be silent and let me be a knucklehead, to point out my knuckleheadedness, and I, as a loving husband, receive her help. Here's, here's another example from our lives of, of submission. Um, I, I might have shared it before, but we, uh, I had this thing um, every, I don't know how many months, I feel like we need to sell our house and move. And, and uh, part of it is, is I look at our house and I feel like a bad steward. I feel like, okay, we'd be a better steward if we lived somewhere smaller and, and saved our money and gave more, whatever it is. Uh, but God has clearly given us that house for ministry and we use it all the time. But it was two years ago, I think, where again, I hit that thing where I look at our house and I'm like, I'm pretty sure maybe God wants us to get rid of it and, and downsize. And Callie said, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but she was submissive. She said, but if you really feel like this is what we need to do, then, then let's do it. So we put our house on the market for three months. If you've ever put your house on the market, whose job is it to keep that house up in general and, and ready for showings? Well, I was working, so... It was Callie's. Callie was doing the work, and when people wanted to see it, she'd have to make sure it's clean. She'd have to get the kids and go somewhere else. for. She did the work. Um, and we had it on the market for three months. Not one offer. Not one interested person. Um, and our, our realtor, Jeannie, at the end of that said, this is kind of weird. I'm surprised. And Callie never said, I told you so. <laughs> I'm sure she thought it. But through the whole thing, she submitted, and she was right the whole time. You, you get that? She was right. And at the end, I told her, you were right. She said, I know. It's <laughs> gracious. But her attitude, she submitted, for the most part, with a, with a heart, not a heart of bitterness. It wasn't, you're wrong, but I'm going to submit. It was, okay. So her heart was even good in the submission. Now, she's not perfect. None of us are perfect. But that's the idea of submission. Not only do we submit in action, but our heart and our mind Ladies, we want to submit uh, with, the right, with the right heart. Okay, three verses on wives, nine verses on husbands. We just read the first one, 25. Husbands, love your wives. We, need, we do need more instruction. I heard that from a wife, right? You need more instruction. 
And anyway, I'm not telling, it's recorded, so I'm not gonna throw you under the bus, Chris. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> the role of the husband, this is in your notes, the role of the husband is to be a loving head. A loving head. Anywhere in scripture and in the Greek world at that time, head meant the one in charge. Okay, the, the leader. The husband is to be the loving leader, the loving head. As I was looking for videos, and I, I had one, but I forgot to upload it. But as I was looking for videos, I found one of an old TV show. It was likely that to be one of those. And, and the dad, it's black and white. The dad comes in, and the son is sitting there. And he said, you know what? He said, we're going to change some things around the house. I'm the head of the house. I'm the one in charge, and, and I need some more respect. So I don't know what this is. You guys calling me pop. Whatever happened to father, you know, or sir, or something like that. And, and the son said, yeah, Dad, I know. I know you're the one in charge. I know that you're the leader. He said, yeah, how do you know? Because Mom says so, and whatever she says goes. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. Or you've heard that the husband is the head, but the wife is the neck. And wherever the neck turns, the head goes. <laughs> but the husband's role is to be the loving head. Our example as Christ loved the church. And what did, what did Jesus do for us? He went to the cross. He suffered shame, humiliation, and death, and separation from his father for us. Husbands, do you do that for your wives? Do you do that for your wives? It takes being dead to self. We looked at that before. It takes Galatians 2.20, you have to be dead to yourself and alive to God. That's what it takes. It takes walking in the spirit. Here's what love is. This is my, my favorite definition of love. Love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. Love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. A healthy marriage isn't, well, you did this, so I do this. A tit for tat. A healthy marriage is, I don't care what you do, I'm going to fulfill my role. Wife, spouse, as the loving head, you're going to be mean and nasty or whatever or contentious. I'm still going to be the loving head and do what's best for you when you least deserve it at great personal cost. Sometimes that cost is the other person thinking you're wrong. Sometimes that cost is being right and be, being okay. You know what I mean? You, you have an argument or a disagreement, and you're sure you're right. And husbands, we can do this too. We're sure I'm right, but being head doesn't mean you force your rightness. But love means, okay, it's, this is not a big issue. I'll let this go with the right heart. That's what love is. But what's best for the other person when they least deserve it, and remember that last part, at great personal cost. Remember Jesus. Did you deserve forgiveness? No, I didn't. What do we deserve? Death, eternal hell. That's what we deserve. Is that what we're getting? No. So what did Jesus do for us? The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't even wait for us to turn toward him. While we were in rebellion, while we were turning our back on him and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want, he said, I'm going to die for you. Not when we deserved it. And it cost him everything. It cost him everything. Husbands, that's how we love. That's how we love. Wives, can you submit to that? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Look on. Verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This seems confusing. So that he might present the church. 
Let me, let me go back to 25 so we get all this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So now we're talking about Christ and the church. That he might sanctify her, that is Christ sanctifying the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he takes a little side note and says, I'm going to talk about Jesus and the church real quick. And then he comes back to husbands. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife should love, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So there's some beautiful truths here about Christ and the church. But as we apply this to husbands, what do we see here? Jesus sanctifies the church. means makes the church holy. That's you and me. He puts us through life, trials, tribulations, whatever it is, gives us the spouse, we have the kids we have, to make us holy, to sanctify us, to show our sin and help change us through the word. Remember the washing of water through the word. So we expose ourselves to the living word, which is Jesus, the written word, the Bible. We expose ourselves to this, compare this to our lives, and we're, we become more holy, sanctified. And so Jesus does that with us, but then there's a similar thing that husbands are to do with their wives. Husbands, how, what do we do with our bodies? It says we nourish our bodies. We feed it. We clean it, most of us. <laughs> you know, we want to take care of our bodies. Same with our wives. And here's, here's what this, I think, means, is that, husbands, you care about your, your wife's well-being fully, physical, spiritual, emotional. Every, what does she need? You nourish her. Uh, Callie and I, some years ago, um, you know, I'd get up early and, and, and spend my time with Jesus and then go about my day. Um, she would get up early, but you know what? As soon as she got up, the kids got up, and she'd be taking care of the kids. And so she wasn't getting her time with Jesus. Now, she, I, I think, is, is better at connecting with God than I am, so she doesn't need as much time as I do. I need to keep going back to him because uh, I forget quickly. Uh, she's a journaler. And she had a prayer journal ever since high school, I think, and and so she hadn't done that much, and she needed to do that. So we set aside Wednesday mornings. I said, I'll do the kids. I'll take care of that. You get up, and you go disappear for an hour. And that was huge for her that I always, I, I failed. <laughs> but that was huge. When, when that happened, she could go connect with God, and I was taking care of typically her role. I think that's kind of the idea of, of nourishing, of helping. What does your wife need to grow in Christ? What does she need? Do whatever you can to give her that emotionally. Is something going on there? Don't just go, she's crazy. She is probably crazy. <laughs> but so are you. <laughs> but, but that's not love. Love isn't, well, she's nuts. Love is, okay, there's something going on here. How can I serve her? We know, uh, how do we gently talk about this? Periodically, logic disappears. <laughs> so, logic isn't there. Husbands, recognize that. Have grace. Have compassion. And, and, and maybe you'll, you'll recognize it 15 minutes into a conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Have grace. Have compassion. I don't think she's right because in two days she'll go, that was nuts. You're right. <laughs> but, <laughs> maybe I'm going too far on this. <laughs> Ladies, we need it too. <laughs> we need it too, because a lot of times we, we get off our rocker too. But there's grace and there's compassion there. And we give them what they need. We give them what they need. Okay. 
This is in your notes. A husband is to seek to provide nourishment, physical and spiritual, to his wife with a spirit of gentleness and care. Gentleness and care. Let's look on because there's some more practical stuff here. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This one's very helpful. And maybe this would have meant more in the first century than it does now, because in the first century, extended families would live together longer or, or close, or you know, they'd have a house, they'd build on a room for the, the married couple. Now, we tend to get married and leave the state, or whatever it is. Uh, but not always. But the, the plan, the idea, is that we leave our father and mother and are joined to our wife. We leave. The idea, the picture here, is of a new start. Is of a new start. There's kind of somewhat, there's a severing, there's a severing of our, our family growing up, our immediate family, and we need to have a new start. And this goes for wives too. It says husbands leave, but wives are supposed to leave too and be joined. Now, it, it doesn't mean fathers, you know, that when your wife gets married, she's totally gone, but there's a change, right? I remember somebody in tears at our marriage because his little girl was, <laughs> there was a change. And we need to recognize that change and be okay with that change. So here's what I think this looks like of leaving. You still hold on to things the way you were raised. And so some of you now are in your home. You know, you're, you're still there. And how you do things for you is how you do things. Well, you're going to go get married. And you're going to find out that they grew up differently. Even if they were very simple, they grew up differently. And there's some things that, that need to change. Or you need to find how you want to do it. Here's an example. When we, Callie grew up going to Christmas Eve services. I grew up on, on Christmas Eve having a lot of fun. Um, I grew up, we would go to my dad's side of the family and we'd snowmobile and we'd sled and we'd tube and, and we'd play with the toys that we got. Uh, and that's what we did. It was a big party. We'd drink wassail and, and so that's what we did. And so we got married. Oh, we need to go to Christmas Eve service. No, we don't. We need to have fun. You know, it's sometimes this little, no, this is a tradition. I'm like, heck with traditions. Let's do what we want, you know. Um, or Christmas morning. So I was raised the right way. I was raised, <laughs> see what not to do? Um, I was raised that, that Santa comes, we're okay with Santa. Santa comes, but he doesn't wrap the presents, he just sets them out. And so my sister would wake up at like three in the morning and she'd come wake me up and we'd go see what Santa brought. Now, as I got older, I started moving my bed on Christmas Eve in front of the door. So when she tr tried to wake me up, she couldn't, I was locked in. Um, but th that was kind of our tradition. And so us kids would be there in the middle of the night looking at all the stuff Santa brought. And then mom and dad would come down at, you know, 7, 7.30, whatever, and they'd get their coffee, and they'd sit down and go, what did Santa bring? Um, and they did that when I was like 17 still. What did Santa bring? You know, yeah. Um, and then there was the whole thing where kids get to show, okay, so we get married. And Callie spends days wrapping gifts. Well, this one's from Santa. Why are you wrapping it? Don't waste your time. You get to just set that one out. You don't have to wrap it. She wanted to wrap them all. And then she won't let the kids go out to the tree until she can see their faces. So she wants to get up. I'm like, so wait, we have to get up early? <laughs> We're supposed to sleep in. It's hot. So, so, okay, kids, you can't come out. And the kids will come in and be in bed with us and be like, can we go now? Can we? No, we're still sleeping. Um, and then we go out and we get to watch them come out and go, <gasps> that's her tradition. You know what? Great. <laughs> 
But, but the idea is we can hold on to even little things like this, but there's more serious things. We can hold on to, this is the way I was raised. Food is another one. She grew up without spices. I grew up with spices. You know, um, but husbands, here's something. You leave your husband, you, you leave your father and mother and you, you join your wife. This is great. For those of you who aren't married, don't compare your wife to your mom. Good or bad. You know, Callie makes meatloaf. It's the wrong shape. Where's the high 57? <laughs> she makes Mexican chicken casserole. Where's the spices? It's Mexican food. Come on. Um, and, and, and to be honest, I didn't always handle that well. <laughs> I'm not as good as your mom, you know? But we need to leave what we have and, and form new traditions. So no more Christmas Eve, sir. New traditions. No, <laughs> but I think that's part of leaving. Now, We'll see more of this going on. Going on. Um, in fact, let's just read the rest, and then because there's more on this point, though, of leaving your father and your mother. Um, therefore, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself again. Our commandment man, is to love. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wanted to bring that word in before we kind of go back to some of that. But respect. What, what does respect mean? Respect means that what he says carries weight. Love means you do what's best for the person loved when they least deserve it at great personal cost. Respect means that what he says carries weight. It, it matters. You hold him in high esteem. I think one of the best ways to describe this is you don't talk him down to anybody. Respect means I know Callie respects me. I know she's not going to go tell anybody what a knucklehead I am, even when I'm a knucklehead. doesn't mean I'm not dumb. But I know she's not going to tell anybody. She's respect, she respects me. I know she has told people my sins and my mistakes, but she's got permission first. That's respect. Hey, can I share this with so-and-so? I think it will help them. Yes, go ahead and share. But that's respect. This comes back to leaving your father and mother. We have a tendency, especially wives with their mothers. This has been your confidant, your person. Then you get married, and you still go to your mom. And mom is the source of love, of acceptance. You can tell mom what an idiot your husband is, and she'll show you. That's one of those things we need to avoid. And husbands do it too, though. <laughs> husbands do it too with their moms. Not so much with dads, I don't think that's an issue, but with moms. But respect means that you don't talk them down. Respect means, husbands, we can share something with our wives. We know she's not going to share it on. And vice versa. Love. Wives, you should be able to tell your husbands anything and know that he's going to keep it secret. And that you're going to continue on loving and respecting each other and, and pursuing God together. Leave your father and mother. Be joined to your spouse. I came across this quote. This is Keller again, Tim Keller. I think it's excellent. It says, if everything in life is weak, but your marriage is strong, you move into life with strength. If everything in life is strong, but your marriage is weak, you move into life in weakness. Is that up there? Yeah. I think that's really good. And we've experienced this over, over the past few years where we look at life and like, everything is weak. <laughs> we don't feel like... Like things are going well in many areas of life, but we had each other. Callie was home for me. She was a rock that I could come to who would support me, who wouldn't pretend you know, that I was perfect, who would point those things out. But 
stable. We should be able to come back and be stable in our marriage. This is in your notes. Husband, loving your wife. I think I skipped some of these, but I've been scolded for that. Loving your wife means you will sacrifice your own wants and needs at all times in order to serve her. Wives, respecting your husband means that he carries weight with you and you never talk him down to anyone at any time. Couple practical applications. Let's look, at, look back at that definition of marriage. Marriage is a legal and binding commitment, permanent and exclusive, to share your entire life with someone. Permanent. That means a couple things. It means those of you who aren't married yet, there's no room for prenuptial agreements. Honestly. And I, I would argue that point. That if you're gonna get married and somebody asks for a prenup for whatever, don't get married. Because Getting married means you share all of you with that person and them with you. And I know as you get older and you have assets that, well, we have these kids and whatever, eh, it becomes difficult. <laughs> but in general, there's no prenuptial. A prenuptial agreement is something that you do before you get married. So, hey, just in case we do get divorced, here's what happens. So you're going into it with a plan that it might fail. That's the wrong approach to marriage to begin with. It's permanent. It's permanent. Here's the other thing. It means that you never threaten divorce. Because it's permanent, you never threaten to leave. Now, are there times are there times when it's appropriate for a husband or wife to separate for a time? Absolutely, there are times. There are a few of them, and seek counsel, seek wise biblical counsel in those times. There is time for that, but in general, no. There's no room for threatening, and it happens all the time. Even subtly. But if you're threatening divorce, well, if you do that, I'm going to leave. If you do that, I'm going to divorce. You're manipulating them, men or women. Either way, it's a, it's a way to manipulate them to do what you want. That's not death to self. A marriage is permanent, meaning you're going to go through all the trials together, meaning you're going to deal with their messiness with love, <laughs> with grace. Remember what you said when you got married? Uh, in health, in sickness and in health? Well, sin is a sickness. So, so we knew when we got married that we were marrying somebody who still was going to struggle with sin. We're going to love them in sickness and in health till death do us part. It's permanent. So no threatening there. Death to self. We're going to talk about one more thing, but we've got to come back to this one. This is the big point. Are you dead? Are you dead? So I had this. actually thought about taking a video camera and going to a, a graveyard and finding a... Uh, a husband and wife buried, you know, and just filming, hey, what problems are you guys having? You know, who's more right than the other? Well, dead people have no rights. You know what I mean? Dead people, they have, they're dead. We are called to be dead. If you are dead, and this is, if, if you've ever talked to me about marriage, I've counseled this all the time, just be dead. Well, she did this. Well, he did this. Well, how did you respond? Well, this way. So you were very much alive to yourself. Yeah. Okay, I don't care what she did or he did, you were dead. You deal with you and let him deal with him or her deal with him and, and you carry out your role, but be dead. And that's really hard in the moment, isn't it? You know, so when your husband cooks dinner and he doesn't really clean up and then he's sitting and watching a movie with the kids and you walk in, not that this has happened in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and you walk in, and you're like, I wish somebody would clean up around you. Um, he was wrong for not cleaning up after himself. And you're dead to self when you gently pointed out, hey, knucklehead, would you mind coming and help me clean up? Or hey, when you do this, doesn't mean you don't say something about it, but dead to self means you don't get all riled up and, oh, I was wrong. And it, it goes both ways. But that, doesn't that happen? Emotion. You know this when emotion comes up. You know that there's something in your flesh that's alive right there. An emotion, whether it's anger, whether it's um, disappointment, um, sadness, self-pity. These emotions come up, and they show that there's something alive in you. We're going to be going over this really next week and the week after, because the 4th of July, we're talking about freedom. Next week, it's freedom from sin. So we're going to spend a lot of time on this, which is exciting, so don't miss it. How do we actually walk in the Spirit? But it's all about being dead. If, I'm de if Derek is dead to Derek... It doesn't matter what Kelly does. She's going to get a loving head. It doesn't matter if I walk in and she's throwing eggs at me. <laughs> That's never happened. Um, but she's, I'm going to be a loving head if I'm dead to me. There's not me rising up demanding my way. And here's, here's the hard part. Because I started this saying marriage isn't to make us holy, you know, but also happy. But here's the thing. Marriage is going to be hard. We have personalities, don't we? And often you're going to have one out of the two who really want to pursue God. And that one, your role, it doesn't matter what they do, is still to pursue God. And I know some of us deal with that. One of us is, is following Christ, the other is not. The ideal is that we both are. And for many of us here in this room or, or listening to the podcast, you're both followers of Christ. But you focus on your role, and she focuses on hers or he on his, and then you come together, and that's when your marriage reaches new heights. When you get your eyes off of them and you're looking to God. Last thing, 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5. Men, you're going to love this one. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul writes about sex. Intimacy is important in a marriage. It's important. Very, very important. For, for, for different reasons, at different times. <laughs> but intimacy is important. Now, I asked my in-laws to come talk about intimacy. No, okay. Intimacy. <laughs> Doug's all about it. <laughs> but I will say, I am going to say something he did say. It matters all the way through. From beginning to end, intimacy matters. And we are to not deprive each other. Except for if there's a reason, like fasting or whatever, we're going to pursue God in prayer, and we're going to take a break from doing this so we can focus on Him. It's an act of worship. But intimacy is important. Intimacy is important. Men, your wife needs to be tenderly loved, not used physically. <laughs> she needs to be touched without um, it needing to go somewhere. Does that make sense? She needs intimacy, a, a, a love. She doesn't need it, but I think that's our role. Um, wives, your husband needs a little more. It's just the way God made us, but it's very, very important. So that's the last thing. I, 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 I couldn't talk about this without putting that in there. It's an important part of marriage. And I've heard it said, uh, I don't remember who was telling me this, but it was someone who had done a lot of counseling. They said, when intimacy stops, it's not 
long before the marriage crumbles. Um, even if they stay together, it's not long before it's, it's dysfunctional. Um, let me pray, and we're going to worship again. The hard part about this, you know, we, we get together on Sunday mornings to worship God. We get together to meet with God, because that's what we get to do as the church. Come to God and worship. Bring Him our sacrifices of praise, um, of our gifts, of, of money. But we're to bring our sacrifices. And so talking about this, this is all about you and me. But yet it is about our relationship with God because that's where it starts. And our marriage is an example. It's an example to the world around us. If your marriage is thriving, guess what? You're going to have people come up going, I want what you got. Why is your marriage so good? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the gift of wives. Um, and husbands, I guess. But thank you. Um, forgive us for our sinfulness, please. Forgive us for not being dead. Forgive me for being so alive at times in my own flesh that I put my own needs first. Lord Jesus, you, you gave us the example as the loving head. And actually, you gave us the example of a wife. You were submissive to your father. You went to the cross in submission to him and in love for us. You're our example, and we thank you. It is only because of what you have done for us and who you have made us in you that we can even attempt this whole marriage thing. But Holy Spirit, I ask, please, work on our hearts. We, we can choose to ignore your word, or we can choose to, to make practical steps to apply it to our lives. And I pray that we would do this second. I beg you, Father, for the marriages in this church. I beg you for those listening to this message now, wherever they are, I beg you that, Holy Spirit, you would give us marriages that are an example, a picture of you and your church. That we would be both holy and happy. And, I, and happy, that sounds frivolous, but what I'm talking about is joy, an inner joy that, that our spouse can be home for us, that we can be home for our spouse. And God, I pray for those in here not yet married, I beg you, please, let them pursue you with all they are and let them find somebody that's doing the same and let them experience the joy that comes from a God-centered marriage. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.